Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. What is up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall. Thank you for checking out the Health Connect South Radio show. On this week's episode, Jay Schaefer and I sat down with Steve Robb, SVP of Security Marketing and Product Strategy for a company called Control Scan. They're a managed security services provider that takes a unified approach that combines the security concerns as well as compliance issues for their clients, particularly in the healthcare space. With over 400,000 new malicious programs launched every day, data breaches have moved onto the national security stage. Enterprises of every size are finding they can no longer afford the risk that they're exposed to on a constant daily basis now, and the cost of highly skilled experts that you need to handle this on an in-house basis are just too costly, really, to have the 24-7 monitoring and protection that they need. So it makes sense to link up with a company like this. I'm really excited that we're able to share some information for you about the various risks and some of the things that you should think about as you work to protect your data and proprietary information. So if you don't know for a fact that your enterprise is locked down as securely as it can be with regards to the safety and security of your important data, you're going to want to stick around for the full interview with Steve Robb coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio Show, episode 56. Can't believe it's been 56 already, C.W. Jay Schaefer on the mic. How are you doing this morning? 60% of the time he's here every time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm excited about today's topic. We're going to get into security. It's and, a new area for us. We haven't really had a show on that before. Yeah, it's probably timely. We were talking about all the different ways we're vulnerable, and I'm sure I'll be going home in a, in a paranoid state after I have this conversation today. We've got Steve Robb. He's the SVP of Security Marketing and Product Strategy for a company called Control Scan. So thanks for taking some time to uh, come in and share. Well, thanks for having me. So talk about just how big of the problem is it now that we have the Internet of Things? I know that that has created yet another doorway for folks who want to do nefarious things to creep into our systems and get access to our information. And I saw something the other day that was talking about uh, how the, uh, the, the, the mouse can be hacked now. I guess, what is it? A, is it a wireless mouse, I guess, mm -hmm. that can be hacked? And how few people, they, they were doing a survey about how few people really cared. It was, it was like 50, 60% of the people they talked to, I don't care. What are they going to do with my mouse? Well, you know, it's really everything can be hacked now. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's somehow attached to a device that's attached to the internet, you can get to it. Um, I think if you go to uh, trade shows now, the hot giveaway is webcam covers because people have realized that you can hack. <laughs> oh, we've got one right yeah. on Jay's uh, Mac. On my over Mac, there. I was doing something, some app, and they had to take, oh, it was a Coursera course, and they took it on. And then I noticed that for verification that the green light stayed on for much longer than that. What's so that I just leave that? a little post-it note over my camera from ever since that, that was months ago that, that, that I did that. But, but you're right. Um, you, you know, we're seeing the, the surface area of technology really increase. People are starting to take their infrastructure up into the cloud. For example, you know, you hear about cloud computing all over the place. It's, it's very cost-effective. It's very flexible because it expands and contracts as you need it. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it's very accessible, you know, by anyone in the world. You mentioned, um, you know, the Internet of Things, um, sometimes mobility and all the mobile device uh, world is, is kind of included in that. Sometimes they talk about that separately. But, 
you know, healthcare is, um, you know, a particular area where you're seeing a lot of technology get attached to the internet because it gives you the ability to do things like continuous monitoring, analysis, and, and transmission of data that gives you a, a much more complete picture of what's happening with a patient, for example. I always thought that when you had information in the cloud, you know, I'm revealing my noobishness around security, but I, I, I was under the impression that it was pretty secure, that they had pretty strong encryption and things like that around accessing that information. They do. And, and I think it keeps getting better all the time. And, and particularly when you look at the major cloud infrastructure providers that, you know, the people like uh, Amazon Web Services and Google and, and Microsoft Azure, you know, they're spending a lot of money and, and a lot of resources on making it secure. But, you know, as, as hard as you work to secure something, the bad guys are working just as hard to innovate. And it can often be a, a, a relatively simple matter of, and we see this all the time, of social engineering, for example. So, you know, how, you don't necessarily have to break into, uh, you, you know, into a, a cloud area, for example, uh, if you can get somebody's credentials, you know, some, especially somebody who matters, and just simply log in. I think there's, there's still a, a slow adoption, for example, of two-factor authentication. So the use of something more than just a password to authenticate yourself into an environment you know, you know that it's it's available all over the place, but um, it just recently in the the PCI space, which is more in payments, uh, the new standard security standard came out there saying you've got to use multi-factor authentication anytime you're trying to access, you, you know, data environments containing right. So that data. means when you log in, they say they send a text message to your uh, phone with a code that you have to punch in or mm. an email or something like that. Yeah, so that's the just, most common way of doing it. Yep. Right. So that's what that's what multi-factor means on that. So the password is something you know mm-hmm. and then the the text um the text code to your phone is something that you have. Right. So that that's why they call it two factor or multi factor. Right. And it's random and time limited usually and yep, just... fair, yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah it's not used again. The other thing too, CW the cloud, that just means somebody else's computer. You don't own the computer. Yeah. Somebody else does. So the issues don't go away. You're just hoping that uh, those people have follow the same pre- security procedures that you would if you on the computer. What's the scope of, of this issue? It, it would seem like it's almost endless right now in terms of security and where the various points are. We talked about the fact that the Internet of Things has opened us up now that my thermostat and my refrigerator, I mean, they're talking about how they can now hack the cars. Uh, the self-driving cars can be hacked. I mean, uh, it, it would seem that it's now... It, very, very difficult to keep up with everything just because, as you said, as we talked about before we went on the air, it's, mm-hmm. it seems like so, technology gets thrown out there and then we got to catch up with it to a certain extent, particularly with regards to the security. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. And I, I think the scope can seem a- almost infinite. And, and so it becomes very important to understand how, how to classify the assets that you're trying to protect. How important is um, the patient data versus, you, you, you know, maybe some um, some some other data, you know, within the business that is less less important or less critical to protect. Um, so so part of a security strategy is always to look at all of your your data and understand what's the most critical, what's the most sensitive, and and essentially try to wall that off as much as you can. And and that's where I, I think in many ways healthcare is is working to catch up because there's a lot of that basic blocking and tackling. Uh, that that hasn't been done over the years. Um, things like um, segmenting your network. So the concept of network segmentation is instead of having 
one big network and attaching everything to it to break it down into some separate subnetworks. And then you can put all the really sensitive stuff, for example, you know, on a subnetwork and really restrict access to it and put other things like access for your patients in the waiting room to the wireless, you know, on a completely different segment and keep those isolated and separate from each other. Right. That went to one of these security meetings around town. They said there's two types of companies, those that have been breached and those know it yet. Yeah. So what yeah. you want to do is make sure that once you get breached, that they don't get too much information. Like you that's said, right. you hide the the good things. They they break into the building, but they're they're in a hallway that's locked. Yeah, I think I think I think everyone's familiar with the target breach, and you know it's 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 a little bit out of healthcare, but I think it's a, a pretty classic example of of um, you know the attackers getting through an HVAC vendor, a third party who had some control systems within the target environment, and then being able to move laterally through their infrastructure and get into the area where, you know, all the card data was. And and that's what caused that that massive breach at at Target. So when we talk about healthcare, obviously we've got HIPAA, the the regulations around how we handle patient health information. And so I'm sure that adds a layer of requirement, but I mean, I guess it brings another measure of risk as well, since uh, as we talked about earlier, that information contains things like social security. So from the risk to your client, if you will, if you're a hospital system or a physician's office, you've got your customers' very sensitive data. You talked about the fact that now, now people will go and get a kidney transplant on your <laughs> insurance. It's possible. It's been done. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it seems like the healthcare systems, I mean, we are only just now getting them un- fully onto EMRs. Yeah. Um, and I, I would imagine that nowadays that even the EMR companies are doing a better job of producing something that's already got some measure of protections about it. But it would seem that that because healthcare is somewhat late to the technology game and particularly to smart technology, that um, that there's still a lot of gaps there. So how do you tackle the the healthcare space? I mean, what's that conversation like with them and helping them try to identify where are their weak spots and how do you get after it? Yeah, and you brought up HIPAA. One of the the primary and and kind of leading requirements within HIPAA is to perform regular security risk assessments. And and a risk assessment, uh, you can bring a third party in, a security expert. You could conceivably do it yourself. Um, we we often recommend bringing in an expert to do the first one to 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 really scope things out, and then you know, you can get a process in for doing a self-assessment over time, but a security risk assessment is going to do just that. It's going to look for all the gaps and all the weak spots and and not just in your technology, but, you know, also in your physical environment. So are you keeping files locked? You know, are you keeping monitors, you know, out of sight of, you know, other patients so that they can't can't see what's on your monitor as, as well as administrative controls? So there's there's three main areas of control. You know, the technology, the physical, and the administrative controls. Does that include the people? Because I've walked it, I've heard that people are the weakest link. I've walked into offices before and you see a little yellow sticky note with the login and password that the people put to remind them. But anybody it, could it absolutely and, does. It's the administrative piece. Um, yeah. and, and it's making sure that you've got, for instance, security awareness training in place. And so that's, that's a big thing right now. I think... Um, you know, it, we, we talked a little bit about how this deployment of technologies is outpacing our ability to secure it. And, and one of the fundamental ways to start addressing that is 
you know, getting secure, basic security awareness training for everyone so that they understand what it means to handle really sensitive data, that it can be, you know, maliciously gathered and harvested and used. And, and so it kind of starts with, with education of, of your employees. Information security expert Steve Robb from Control Scan with us here on the show today, learning about how to go about securing your patient information, your sensitive data for your healthcare system or your physician practice. What is the what does that assessment look like? What are we doing? I mean, how do we tell where our weak spots are? Well, there's a lot of best practices out there. So NIST, you know, the government agency has has been developing mm-hmm. cybersecurity frameworks for years. And, and of course, those are uh, applied much more broadly than healthcare. They're, they're really uh, applicable to critical infrastructure in the U.S. They're used for evaluating people who supply the government. And, and so very often you'll see these, these frameworks for going in and assessing based on um, things like the NIST framework and, and pulling out the best practices and saying, here are the fundamental things that you should be doing in order to have a secure environment. So it's it's really more or less kind of a checklist. And um, so they come in, they take, uh, often an outside expert will come in. And, and the advantage of an outside expert is they'll have seen a lot of different environments and a lot of different situations and, and be able to come in and provide, um, not just uh, point you to the weaknesses, but also help you understand, you know, what are some ways that you can remediate those? What do you see typically, we talked about the fact that I would imagine the people are probably, as Jay was saying, one of the biggest weaknesses. How do you, what, what do you see in, in that healthcare space? Where do you see the typical big oops happening oh, over and over? Yeah, great question. Because, you know, big oops, and you'll just read about this all over are the, the phishing attacks, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're just seeing, you know, incredible realistic emails coming in that, um, and, and it's amazing, um, it, it, again, you see finance departments getting a CEO from who when they think is the CEO asking for all the W-2 information for all the employees and they'll send it, right? <laughs> uh, they'll send it without question. And it, instead of going to the CEO, it's actually going off somewhere in Eastern Europe or mm-hmm. Central America or somewhere. Um, so, so it's really uh, recognizing phishing emails, understanding that you shouldn't open attachments unless you're sure what they are and who they came from or clicking on links. And you know, the problem is, you know, you click on a link and, and it downloads malware and it's it's not necessarily always going to be immediately apparent. So malware has advanced to it's there. It's it's much more patient. Uh, it's much more subtle, much, much harder to detect. And so it, it may sit within the network, you know, for days or weeks and and move quietly across to various, you know, various platforms within the network. So um, you know, the, the phishing and, and the going to malicious websites, you know, is, is probably the, the biggest dupes right now. And, and the consistent way that we see these attacks happening. I, I'm getting to the place now where I don't even use the, I, I, I just let my email fill up with spam and then I clear it out. I, you know, you go through and you engage with a, a website or a business in some form or fashion, and then they put you on their emailing list and they start hitting you with their yeah, you know, you, you I bought a car a couple of years ago and I still get emails from them, but I've gotten to the, to the point where I'm even hesitant now to use the unsubscribe link in those mm. emails, you know, because I'm just like you're saying, don't click on links, don't click on, uh, on attachments. I mean, to me, 
that's one of those ways. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I I just delete them now. And, and if just you can even ha- if they even have an unsubscribe button, lots yeah. of the stuff that comes in is just junk mail, and you can't unsubscribe from it. Yeah, well, and it, and it, it's supposed to right under mm-hmm. the can spam yeah, act. I can, yeah, but um, you're you're right. A lot of it doesn't. I mean, I I keep an old tablet around. And I kind of shove some of the stuff I'm interested in, but unsure about, you know, into a folder. And then I, op- I, I sometimes will open it up on a, you know, a, a, an old tablet, you, you know, that, uh, you know, I, 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 I wipe every once in a while. So, but uh, definitely, you know, if, if you're at work, you know, if you're at a, a you know, a, a home computer attached to your network, you know, you, you want to make sure that you know who, who sent you the email and what what's attached to it every once in a while. I mean, most of the time it, it seems fairly obvious when you look at an email, even though they've gone to a, a measure of effort to make it look realistic. Um, when it's particular information, I mean, I've gone to the point where I've contacted people. Yeah. Did you send this to me? That kind of thing. You can do that. Um, if there's links in the email, if you are on a, a laptop or a desktop, you can hover over that link and it should show you yeah. the actual URL it's going to. And, you know, if it looks suspicious, don't click on it. Uh, look for spelling mistakes, yeah. right? So, you know, especially larger companies are not going to send out, you know, emails with a lot of grammatical and, <laughs> and typographical mistakes in it. So there's, there's some telltale signs there that, that you can be looking for. Or even dear valued customer. I mean, American Express or some of the banks, they get the header and they'll send you a phishing attack on that, but it'll still doesn't have any personal information. Just say, dear valued customer, you we lost your password information. Please fill out this form and so we can restore our systems or something. No. That, that, that's a great point too, Jay. If, if someone is asking you to log into your account directly from that email, don't do it. <laughs> Just shut the email. Go over to the URL, log in, see if you have any messages, you know, within mm-hmm. that website. So you mentioned malware being downloaded to your computer and to your network by following links or by opening attachments. What's an example of the malware that you're talking about? What's it doing? Well, it, it, it can be doing a number of things. Of course, the latest thing we're seeing in, in healthcare is this rash of, of ransomware attacks. So that's a case where you've got, um, you, you know, malware that is very active right away and is starting to encrypt um, files, um, you know, you know, or, or, or even systems on the network. And so uh, we've seen hospitals literally shut down. Uh, we saw that in the case of Hollywood Presbyterian, for example. And, um, you know, they, they ended up paying about a $17,000 ransom to get the key back to unencrypt their systems. Wow. I mean, and, and there's nothing you can do in that situation. You mentioned earlier before we went on the air about how backups can help you, I guess, be able to say, yeah, no, thanks. We'll just scrub and restart. But, but I mean, it's interesting to me how, I mean, $17,000 is a lot to pay for something like that. But it, I mean, at some point, especially when you're talking to a hospital, it would almost seem like you just shoot for the moon, give me 5 million. Why, why 17,000? I, I think they did shoot for the moon right off the bat. I think they, they sent, uh, sent over a request for about 3.6 million and, and, and they, they quickly settled down uh, to, uh, okay, to about fine. seventeen thousand, <laughs> just just to get the money, right? Um, but even at seventeen thousand, um, you, you know, the numbers that are getting racked up from these ransomware payments are, are pretty extraordinary. Uh, the FBI uh, estimates that um, to date, ransomware payments for this year have been around two hundred and six million dollars, and they're thinking that worldwide it could be a billion dollars in ransomware payments 
in 2016. So this is an actual organized crime business right now. And do they have any idea who's behind it? Is it the Americans, Eastern Europeans, well, Chinese? It's, you know, Jay, the... it's all over the place yeah. because this stuff, you can go into markets and, mm-hmm. and buy. Right. Um, so if you're, if you're a developer mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, you're interested in getting the, into the business, <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't suggest it. Right. But, but there's marketplaces in the, in, the, in the dark web where you can go and, and basically purchase whatever you need. You can purchase, you know, malware kits that you can then basically customize and, and modify to your own needs. You can purchase or, or rent DDoS attacks, so distributed mm-hmm. denial of service attacks where, you know, they'll fire, you know, a whole lot of messages at, at a particular target you provide. And, and so this is often used by attackers, too. Um, sometimes in the in, in just providing kind of a, a diversion, right? So you, you shut down uh, somebody's website or, mm-hmm. or portal, all the IT resources race over there to see what's going on. And, and then in the background, you know, they've, they've got some weak points that you're able to exploit with, you know, other types of malware. And you're saying that one of the primary ways that these things are coming in is by people mistakenly clicking links. Yeah, there's there's a there's a couple ways. It's it's the uh, the insiders who are, um, as you said, uh, you know, accidentally uh, clicking on a link or downloading an attachment. It, it may look like a very legitimate email. It may look like an Excel spreadsheet from Human Resources. I mean, we're back to them using Microsoft Office documents with um, PowerShell scripts in them. You know that that enable the downloading of this malware. The other area. Of vulnerability is uh, unpatched or out of date software, and so one uh, another one of the the best practices you see in security and a requirement you see in most compliance frameworks is to keep all your systems up to date and patched. I think, you know, everyone who has a, a mobile phone gets the the app dates and the the operating system updates, mm-hmm. and very often, you know, those are to secure your phone and make sure that someone can't exploit a vulnerability that was just discovered. So. You know, that's that's the other piece is is keeping things up to date. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately, for instance, about Adobe Flash. Uh, Adobe Flash probably has to come out with a new version, you know, every few months just to close all the vulnerabilities. And there's been a lot of call um, for everyone to get rid of Adobe Flash. So there's there's certain kinds of software that we've let creep into our our infrastructure because Adobe Flash was in almost every website that that anybody put up. Right. And, and yet it's very vulnerable and, and allows, you know, people to exploit those vulnerabilities to get back into the infrastructure through the website. I don't see how you manage to how do you travel through a network like starting at my mouse, some innocuous entrance like that? How do you just because you can hit the Internet? I mean, how does that allow me to get into your machine and actually interact with its contents? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, a, again, it's taking advantage of of the internet protocol of of IP and and being able to move through there. One of the the issues that you have is is very often hardware and software uh, makers put a default password in place. So if you ever bought a a wireless router, for example, from your home, it probably came with a a password like admin admin, admin. password. Yeah. Yep. And, and what happens frequently is, is, again, just kind of a little bit of sloppiness because you start putting in some of these, some of these uh, network components and you don't go back and change those passwords to something that's more secure. Um, so they'll go through and, you know, they'll guess the obvious ones, you know, and, and, it, and it may just be the, the manufacturer specified ones. 
People also use very weak passwords. If you look at the studies out there, the most common passwords out there are things like password one, two, three. You know, people still don't understand the, the value of having a, a really uh, strong password. And, and again, you're back to the attackers being extremely innovative. Um, they've got, they build systems out of uh, GPUs, graphic processing units that are uh, capable of running through you know, large volumes of, of passwords and basically brute force attempting to crack them too. So, you know, just lots, lots of innovation on, on the attack side. Yeah, well, you see the movies where they, they are going to hack their way into a building and they've got the little LED gizmo mm-hmm. and they plug it into the elevator and it's and then, it's, you know, <laughs> now they've got the password. I mean, is that what you're talking about? Similar to that? Yeah, I mean, they're not necessarily on site in the building with a look. Right. They actually have, they've got, actually got a bank of servers that, yeah. you know, are, are sitting in a, a room somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why on the iPhone, they put a limit on the number of tries that you can do. So for the four-digit code or trying to hack into it after X number of tries, it shuts down because... Yeah, that, that's that's a that's a, a great point. You know, if you if you go back to the, the whole FBI Apple thing with right. trying to crack... And, and you start looking at the difference between a four-digit password and, the six and digit. yeah, it, it takes about, I, I can't remember exactly how long. It takes hours mm-hmm. to to uh, crack the, the four-digit. It mm-hmm. takes years, like five mm-hmm. years to crack the six-digit, just because there's so many more permutations that, mm-hmm. that it has to work through, especially if you start putting alpha characters and not just numbers in there. So, mm-hmm. right. so yeah. if you have four-digit code, you can do, what, 10,000 uh, different codes. And if they... If you had a machine that would just run through 10,000 different combinations, eventually you'd come up on the password. But if you put, Apple put a limit on the number of times you could try without the system shutting down. Yeah. So it's pretty. Talking with cybersecurity expert Steve Robb of Control Scan, learning about some of the various ways that sneaky people try to get into our information and do the nefarious things that they want to do with it, whether it's holding up our data to get us to pay a ransom to unlock it to, you know, hacking in and stealing our personal information and using it to go get, you know, their lips done or whatever they're getting done. <laughs> well, you also mentioned that. I think one of the other risks is that if they get that information, they could also do a fraudulent claim, right? That's yeah. one of the things that the government's worried about. They're paying for claims that aren't, that never happened. So that's another risk of it. Yeah. I, lots, lots of fraud. You see examples. So, so grabbing that identity information, and of course, Early on, all the breaches were around credit cards, right? And and um, I, I think every, the public quickly figured out that when your credit card is stolen, you call up, they ask you what the fraudulent charges are, and they send you a new card. Pretty pretty sh- uh, open and shut. When you get into identity theft, and you're stealing names and birthdays and social security numbers, maybe even driver's license numbers, those are not pieces of data that are are easily changed, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that data is much more persistent. It's got a longer life and it's it's more valuable. I mean it's it's monetized, you know, out in these black market uh online market spaces um to the point where, you know, a credit card number out on that space may be worth, you know, a couple dollars. Uh, a a identity profile uh is probably worth anywhere from fifty to a hundred dollars. So worth a lot more um, and, and people out there purchasing it, you know, we just got through tax season, right? Mm-hmm. And so we saw, uh, lots of warnings, lots of discussions about fraudulent tax returns. So that's a, that's a clear, <laughs> clear application of social security number and, and name. And, and in fact, people were going up to the IRS site 
and and pulling down what they needed, uh, you know, from from previous years in order to go ahead and submit fraudulent tax returns. I mentioned to you before we went on the air today how my driver's license and social security card were compromised. And I thought it interesting how first thing I wanted to do was to find out what, if anything, I could do with the IRS to try to protect myself from, you know, fraudulent uh, returns being filed to get refunds and so forth. And for a period of time, I guess until recently, there was a PIN number that they would give you. I think it was a four digit code. Yep. yep. Well, they found out that that wasn't very secure. And so now there is they they basically took that down. That feature is not there now, so it's just not there. They just don't have one. Like, that's right. The that, that's I was like that. Very encouraged by that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a trade off between security and ease of use. You're talking about the Linksys or the router people. They want to make it easy for somebody to buy their machine and get it hooked up in their home. So that's why they make an easy default password. But um, you know, if they can't hook it up, people will return it. But on the other hand, you need to make it so it's secure. So there's some balance there that, um, you know, what what can I do as a patient or what can I do uh, as a consumer to make sure that I'm secure, but I don't want to um, keep, a, you'll have a file or I think, uh, who's my wife, it's a splash ID or something where she keeps all her passwords, but somebody could break into that and get all the passwords. Well, and that and that balance um, is is one of the things that, that has held healthcare back a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. in the healthcare world, there's a a big focus and a big premium on reliability and consistency and and quick reaction. Right, a patient comes in, you want access to those patient records immediately. You don't you don't want to have to log into three different systems and wait for stuff to be unencrypted. And mm-hmm. and that's that's been uh, I think a, a struggle with getting really strong security in place. And it, it's a challenge for the security community to continue improving encryption strategies, for example, so that data can be encrypted and kept completely secure, but is also always accessible, you know, by the right people when it's, when it's needed. In the last few years, one of the things that we have seen in the healthcare space is the increased utilization, a wide variety of mobile platforms, tablets, the iPads, obviously cell phones, connecting to a healthcare system or a physician practice to have access to imaging that they need to see, patient records that they need to interact with to provide care. What kind of risk does that provide and and how do you go about trying to secure these mobile devices that are tapping into the database? Yeah, that's that's a that's a conundrum in and of itself. Um the the concept of BYOD or bring your own device. You have lots of doctors and and other workers who have a phone, have a tablet of their own for for personal use, and also want to use it for work purposes. They don't necessarily want to carry around two phones or two tablets. So IT in in the healthcare world, and and really in in business uh, in general, struggles with how do you really secure data on a personal device? On a business-owned device, you can be fairly draconian. You know, you can put, um, and, and there's some very good uh, mobile security and mobile management solutions out there. Um, but you know, they tend to kind of take control of your device. And, and if it's a personal device, a lot of people have a problem with that. I, I know for our company, uh, if you have a mobile device that, that you want to use, um, you basically have to say, sign a release that says, if anything happens to it, the company has the right to wipe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you need to report it right away and they will wipe it. And so you're expected to 
make sure that you're, you're, you're backing up your personal things like your, your pictures. But I think that technology is advancing too, to the point where even within that device, you're able to start coordinating off the, the business specific pieces, uh, applying encryption and other security measures. Um, and, and so the, the, the evolution of, of mobile devices, the power, the storage will, will allow you to have that kind of split personality. How secure or not are things like iPhones, Android phones, the, the, the various tablets that we're using now? I mean, I've, I've been probably mistakenly, but I've been under the impression for a long time that at least st- still so far that the Mac and Apple products, for example, are fairly secure that don't seem to be t- as targeted or, or at least as vulnerable to some of the attacks that s- things like PCs, for example, I don't know about Android itself, but how, how secure are these devices? You know, it's interesting because I, I, I think you do see uh, a, a difference between the, the Apple products and the PC Android products. The, the Apple products have always tended to be what they call kind of a walled garden, very closed, right? And to the point where the Macs and the, and the iPhones, for example, inspect very carefully what's being installed on them and, and can prevent installations for the most part. The App Store, the Apple App Store, uh, vets the uh, applications that are submitted pretty carefully. The PC world and the Android world prides itself on being very open, right? And so we're open to all developers. We don't we don't want to, you know, put a, a whole bunch of rules because that'll stifle innovation. And we want to create this big community and and ecosystem. But but at the same time, you are seeing most of the malware. Uh, in the mobile world show up on Android devices, for example. And, and same thing with the PC, uh, much more open and prone to attack. Where do you see the, the security space going, particularly around healthcare? And that's kind of our focus. What, what do you see on the horizon for us? You know, it, we're, it's, it's an interesting time right now because just a few years ago, the security space was really dominated by a, a few big companies. You had companies like IBM, Symantec, McAfee, uh, who, who were giant companies and pretty much dominated. Uh, as we've seen all this new technology come in, as we've seen the attack services expand, the security space is really fragmented. And it's, it's grown uh, from a, a market uh, value and a market size standpoint significantly. It's, it's now probably about a $75 billion market in the technology space uh, worldwide. Um, you know, we're going to continue to see that kind of fragmentation. We're going to see a lot of innovation with small companies. Um, there's a lot uh, you know, here in Atlanta, uh, where Control Scan is located, mm-hmm. that that grew out of companies like um, ISS Internet Security Systems and Spy Dynamics. Um, so I, I think you're going to see a continued, you know, acceleration of innovation. Uh, a lot of solutions. I, I think that's that's good, but at the same time, it's going to make it confusing for healthcare. Um, I think there's going to be uh, a, a process of trying to understand. What are the right solutions? Who's the right vendor to go with? You know, one of the one of the trends you're seeing out there, of course, is managed security services too, mm-hmm. and security as a service. The, the whole as a service space is interesting because you kind of buy it as you need it. So, software as a service, like Salesforce.com, uh, you you can go up and and start using right away. Very often, you can use these solutions free. Uh, until you get to a certain point. And, and at that point, you can say, okay, it's delivering value. I'm going to go ahead and subscribe to this. Um, we're seeing that in the security space too. Security as a service, which 
Instead of making major investments and commitments up front, you know, capital expenditures and hardware and software, hiring people, it, it is possible to go out and work with, you know, a team of experts um, who can deliver that on more of a, a service basis. And save money, I assume, over employing those people yourself. Yeah, that's really, you, you know, that's one of the, the critical areas in security right now is the scarcity of talent. I, I saw one estimate that worldwide there is a one million unfilled positions. I mean, it sounds incredible, but it's it's we're not uh, developing enough security experts. Um, they're, they're trying to encourage you know kids in college and and people looking for career transitions um, because security is really an ongoing set of processes, right. right? I mean, it's it's not install the the <clears throat> firewall and then go about your business for three years. Um, we know now that if somebody really wants to get into your network, it's it's likely that they will. So there's there's this whole protect piece of getting a firewall and getting antivirus in place. But then there's an ongoing monitoring detect piece that says, I need to be watching my network on, on a fairly continuous basis to see if there's any unusual activity, anomalous activity. How do you see it? I mean, how do you, what kind, is there a dashboard? Or, I mean, there I, is a dashboard actually. And, and, you know, all these devices that we've talked about, these mobile devices, these Internet of Things devices, they all generate data. They all generate logs. They tell you when somebody has tried to log in. Uh, they tell you who tried to log in, right? Uh, and and this massive amount of data can be gathered up. And, and there's a, uh, a, a class of security solution called SIM or Security Information and Event Management. And what it does is it ingests all this machine data, and system logs, and it looks for correlations. It looks it looks for this unusual activity, kind of filters through all that noise, and then ideally raises the alerts that need to be looked at. And so then you then your team of experts isn't just staring at all the the logs and the the activity. Yeah. They're getting kind of a list of alerts. Hey, we think we see a brute force attack on this server, which means somebody is trying over and over and over again to log in. Is it a user who forgot their password, or is it you know, someone from a uh, from China, and I can tell because of the IP address. You know, who's trying to find the right password and break into that server? That must be what a friend of mine who works for a large global enterprise here in Atlanta, and he talked about how one evening he spent the evening blocking. I don't remember two hundred and some odd different attacks that were happening simultaneously, primarily yeah. from Russia, and they were able to, I guess, you know, one or two at a time, they were able to start locking those down for, from access from a particular region. And I'm, I'm interested to know how, I guess he must've been using obviously something like what you're talking about. Right. I was curious at the time, I'm like, how do you see it? And what are you looking at? I'm going to turn that off. Uh, so you're able to potentially block, what is it? A range of IP addresses that, that, sure. that deal with a particular region. Is that how it works? Kind of like a zip code, if you will. Absolutely. If, if you don't do business in uh, the Ukraine or you don't do business in China, why let any of those IP addresses through and, and into your network? And it, and it doesn't even have to be one of these kind of big SIM platforms. It can be a firewall. The, the, the firewall technology out there has gotten very advanced and the firewalls uh, have a, a user interface um, that will allow you to see the traffic coming across. Uh, we have implemented firewalls for um, you know a variety of of customers, including some in the healthcare space, and we'll put that firewall in and we'll start monitoring the traffic. 
we'll see, for example, uh, a, a stream of data going out to a, a, an unusual site. Turns out it's malware trying to connect to the command and control center. So, so very often you've got servers you know, out, out in the globe somewhere. And when you install malware, that malware goes back to that server or that command and control center for instructions on what to do next. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see it and then you can shut it off and, and put that kind of level of security, even at a firewall. So a, a physician, you know, a single physician office can get a firewall in place that's capable of doing that. And the cyber attackers don't have to be right very often. They can do a thousand attacks, but if one of them is successful, it doesn't cost them much, then they're in. You, we were talking before about the, which is the PC or Mac or iPhone or Android. They're all gateways to backend data that's real important. So it's not the device so much. It's just what they have access to that's uh, they'll keep repeatedly trying until they can find a weak spot and gain access. That's right. It's, um, I think you were mentioning Jay, the fact that nowadays you put a, uh, an unprotected device out on the internet and, uh, it's found and often compromised in, in minutes. Right. And, and, and that's because there's this ongoing scanning taking place. It's all automated, right? I mean, it's, it's all just scanning deployed on, on an automated basis looking for weakness, looking for vulnerabilities because software hasn't been kept up to date or ports on a firewall have been left open. That's something that happens all the time. If you have an outside IT consultant of some kind that is helping you to maintain your systems, if if they're not security-minded, very often they'll leave a port open allowing them to remote in to be able to access your systems from their home. Well, if they can do it, the attackers can do it too. So you know, that's another example of deploying technology where you're not really doing it in a secure way. Yeah. And you mentioned before that education is a lot of what you do. It seems like getting the companies to have the mindset of security is an ongoing thing. You can try it as a service, but it's day in, day out. The attackers are relentless and you need to be relentless in your defense. Yeah. You need to be relentless and and you need to know who you're working with. Um, in In the healthcare world, we have the concept of business associates, right? So these are not necessarily covered entities or, you know, physicians and, and patient care, for example, um, but, but they provide services that could, that could impact the security of protected health information, or PHI. Um, so with the passing of the omnibus rule in the last year, you, uh, you now have business associates that are held to the same HIPAA standards mm-hmm. as healthcare organizations because they have just as much ability if, to, to uh, contribute to the compromise of patient mm-hmm. data as you do. What about control scan as an enterprise? Are there resources, collaborations, partnerships that the organization is seeking when you sit around the boardroom thinking, geez, if we had this, then we could really expand the, the extent to which we are able to provide our solutions to the healthcare space? Are there resources? partnerships, collaborations of some kind, because that's one of the things that we're all about yeah, here. We always ask, what do you need? Health Connect South, yeah. what are you looking for? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think um, at, at this point, we are always interested in talking to companies that that want to understand security. And, and, and we're still learning about, um, you know, various segments in the healthcare space too, right? I mean, healthcare is an, an incredibly uh, complex and multifaceted industry. And, and some of the relationships, in fact, I was I was talking to uh, someone at a at a security conference out in San Diego, and I, I was saying, "Where where do you see some of the biggest risk in the healthcare space?" And she said, "You know, right now, I think it's in the senior care space, right? So, 
Um, very often hospitals release patients into a senior care facility um, you know, for, for early recovery. And there's a lot of transfer of, of patient records back and forth. And she was saying a lot of these secu- uh, senior care are, are, you know, two steps behind. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, very often they have uh, consolidated and you've got these large major chains and, and they're under investing in security. So um, we're very interested in, in, in taking our, our understanding of healthcare down a level understanding the various segments, how they work, what they're concerned about, you know, what their business processes are. Because to, to really secure data, you know, you've got to understand, you know, what is the data, where is it, and, and how does it flow through the system? And, and then I think we can continue to, to evolve the solutions, um, you, you know, that, that we can bring to the table. Um, from a technology standpoint, you know, we're always evaluating technology. So uh, our business is really around delivering security services, both on a, a professional secure, uh, professional services basis, as well as a managed security basis. And, and on the managed security, we're, we don't try to build our, our own technology because we think that space is changing and evolving too quickly. We focus on, on delivery and a, and a delivery platform and then try to work with uh, the technology providers that are, are best suited to solve the, the, the problems that we're seeing within the healthcare industry. Where do folks need to go to get information about the company and its solutions? Well, the, the best place is our website, www.controlscan.com. Uh, I'll add that there's, a, that there's a blog there. So there's not just company information, but you know, we're, we're very actively trying to provide information you know, out, out to the space. So there's a, a lot of good content there uh, that, that people can access. Webinars also. too? Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's webinars, there's white papers. You know, we, we, try to, we, we try to bring... Uh, a, a perspective around both security and compliance, uh, because if you deploy security in the right way, uh, it can also help make achieving compliance and maintaining it on a continuous basis much much easier and much simpler. What about Health Connect South, Jay? Anything coming up that folks need to have on the calendar? Yeah, thanks for asking, CW. Uh, stay tuned. The next event's going to be in Birmingham in. June. They're still working on the date on that, but save the date September 21st at the Georgia Aquarium. It's going to be the Big Ten event. 500 plus uh, folks get together. I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful venue. You get to see the beluga whales cruising around in there <laughs> off the main auditorium and in the hallway outside. It's really a beautiful place. And obviously the collection of experts that they have coming to present information there is absolutely worth the price of admission. So we hope you make plans for that. And if you've come back and you're checking out the podcast and haven't done so already, click on the Apple logo in the upper left-hand corner of the Health Connect South show page, Health Connect South radio show page, Mm -hmm. and that'll take you over to the iTunes store to the podcast. You can subscribe to us, and that way each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to on your walk or drive to work, whatever the case may be for you. We hope you turn around and share this information as well. You might put some information in the hands of somebody that really makes a difference for their business or for their personal life. So we'll say thank you in advance for doing that. Steve, thanks for taking some time to come and talk about clearly an important subject and one we haven't gotten into yet. I'm sure there's probably a lot more time we could spend on a a host of issues. So we might have to have you back sometime. Well, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Well, for uh, for us here at Business Radio X, the folks over at Health Connect South want to say thank you very much to Russ and Shivani and Jay and all the folks over there. And uh, for Control Scan, making you available for us today, Steve, and, and for everybody out there who made us a part of their day today, I want to say thank you very much. We appreciate your time. 
Look forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 